Welcome to another Tudor Cameo episode. These very short episodes will be slotted in between the normal ones and will cover those characters who made a fleeting yet tantalising appearance in other episodes. We don't always have a lot of information about them, so they can't have a full episode of their own. But they're too interesting to abandon completely and they help fill in the gaps and enable us to create as full a picture of the era as we can. And today, John Sante, Abbot of Abingdon. Have we come across him in any episodes yet? It was mentioned very, very briefly in the Earl of Lincoln's episode. Ah, yes. Because we did mention the Stafford brothers and the fact that they were in Sanctuary. Yeah, and I think we'll we'll come across him a lot more in the Stafford episode. Yes, yes, very much so, because he was was in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) We do not have a lot of information on John. It was quite difficult to find information. Thankfully, the Abbey of Abington has their own historical section. Ah, I went so, to school in Abington. Did you? Hmm. Oh. I don't remember much about it, but I did go to school there. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have any information about his birthday or what he did as a young person. So we start off with the fact that he became the Abbot of Abington. It's a Benedictine Abbey in 1468, and he did have a degree in theology from Oxford, mm-hmm. which means he must have had some patron or wealthy himself in order to be able to go to Oxford. Yeah, that, make, mm-hmm. that makes sense. We are back in time. Edward IV is on the throne, and it appears that he may have known John Sante. We know that Sante was fiercely loyal to Edward and the extension and in extension the rest of the Yorkists for a long time afterwards. Which doesn't bode well for his uh, time in Henry the Seventh's time. <laughs> <laughs> no. John was a trusted member of Edward's cohort, and I say that because we do know that he was around Edward enough to impress him at some point. Because he was used as a diplomat by Edward. And this is one of the few abbots that I found became a diplomat. Usually it's bishops and cardinals. All right. Is that because they're normally affiliated to an actual building, so they they should be in their abbey rather than traipsing around the world? Yeah, and they are in control of monks. Hmm. So when you're directly control, not controlling the head of a monastery and an abbey, an associated abbey, you shouldn't be leaving that area. Bishops can travel because they have a large area that they're supposed to be in charge of. But it seems mm. and like quite abbots... often they don't even go to that large area that they're meant to be in charge no. of. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Very true. So in 1474, he was a diplomat for Edward and was sent to Rome to meet the Pope. The fact that he was later named as Papal Nuncio in England says that he had to have been pretty impressive and that the the Pope actually liked him. Later, we also know that he was then hmm, promoted to become the Legate de la Terre to England, which is a person who dictates laws and papal bulls to England. They also, um, how do I explain this? They're given a writ 
to manage a larger area, make changes, make adjustments, choose people to take their positions. He would be the one discussing with Edward, say Edward wanted to create a bishop. Well, Edward would technically need papal support for that, but the way that worked is he would just go to John Sante and Sante would agree to it. Hmm. England had... Yeah, because I think we've seen this before because we thought, well, the Pope can't oversee all the the new positions across the whole of the Catholic world, could he? Yes, yes. But it's interesting that an abbot who is outranked by cardinals and bishops now has say who's going to be a cardinal and bishop. Yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's, he's appointing his superiors. Yes. The other thing that's interesting about a legate de letere is that John Sante, as that, was authorized to sell indulgences. Hmm, nice little learner. Mm-hmm. But ironically, <laughs> if he deemed it necessary, he could also perform spot inspections and reform churches. Reform them from what? Errant practices, errant institutions. And when I say errant practices, there wasn't a strict regime of how certain things were done. And quite often you'd go to villages and towns where the priest there wasn't formally trained the same way. So they went with village tradition rather than what the church had dictated should be done. So you'd find different practices depending on which church area you went to. And he was there to bring them all in back into Roman lines. And also, I suppose, your average village vicar probably doesn't speak Latin. Yes. And probably has no idea what he's reading. Yes. <laughs> It was interesting. The other thing I found really ironic about that is if our listeners know anything about Protestant history, it was the selling of indulgences that sparked calls for reformation. And in the end, the Protestant movement started because of those indulgences. And here mm. he is reforming the church and selling indulgences. <laughs> well, there thought to be anything wrong with them. No. By most people. No, there so wasn't. There's people in the church. We look back now and we can't work out why was anyone taken in by these things? Yes. But, but then they thought they were going to spend eternity in purgatory mm. or at least thousands and thousands of years if they didn't buy these indulgences. Yeah. And they would, they would bankrupt themselves buying them. John maintained his influence and again was in Rome in 1478 and 1479 including as part of an official embassy to the Pope reporting on his duties as the Legate de la Terre. While this may be interesting, he really doesn't come to our attention until after Henry becomes king. So prior to that, yes, he went back and forth to Rome, but it wasn't, he doesn't show up in the court rolls. He doesn't show up in many state papers just for those few times that he went to Rome. Other than that, we don't even have much information on the reforms that he... He's just doing his job, I suppose, at that point, isn't he? Yes. I don't know if the church records just don't exist, because a lot of church records we found were destroyed during the Reformation. Mm. So it is possible that he was much more influential. We just don't have the records. John, as a Yorkist... He was a loyalist and a personal friend to Edward, apparently, from this time. Gave sanctuary to Humphrey Stafford and the, the Earl of Devon and his younger brother Thomas Stafford at the Church of Colchester. 
So this the is Earl where of Devon. that. Hmm? The Earl of Devon, did you say? Humphrey Stafford was the Earl of Devon. Oh, right. I thought yeah. it was the Courtney's that did Devon. Or is that just Exeter? I don't know. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go too far into that because we do have the Stafford brothers coming up as a possible subject. Yep. Now, here there's a bit of con- controversy in the historical reference. So their first sanctuary is in Colchester. Does John Sante have authority over the Church of Colchester? Sort of. Really? From Abingdon? No, as the legate de la Terre. Oh, right. Yes, yes, yes. So that he makes can, more sense. Yeah, he can override absolutely everybody under England because of that power. Hmm, it's handy. There are mentions that he was the one accepting their sanctuary. There was a debate on whether or not the church was willing to do it because they figured they were going to be in trouble. Battle of Bosworth just happened. Hmm. Do we really want these people in the church? The opposite side is one. Because we don't have those church records, we can't 100% say, yes, it was John Sante who said, you better do the sanctuary thing. But because the Legate de la Terre was saying sanctuary is a right in the church and he was doing the reforms, he could have pushed that very easily. And it would be in his personal benefit to do so if he was yes. such a strident Yorkist. Yes. Mm. I'm going to go with... Yes, he had that authority, because later on he gets into trouble for it. These two men were brothers that fought in the Battle of Bosworth. While providing sanctuary immediately after the battle did not bring John into any difficulty because sanctuary was expected for the church. Yeah, I mean, Henry had to get sanctuary when he was in Brittany, didn't he? Yes, he did. So... It's common everywhere, and apparently you could still claim sanctuary. I'm not sure exactly how that works, but you can. Yes, you can. Some people who are asylum seekers and their bid has failed have sought sanctuary in churches. Yes. Mm. The Staffords then shot themselves in the foot. They left sanctuary to rebel against Henry, and when that failed... They re-entered sanctuary under John again at the Culham Church. Yet another church that John Sante technically may not have authority over as an abbot, but he is still the legate de la Terre because that's not Henry's choice. That's the Pope's choice. Well, I think Culham's quite close to Abingdon. Is it? It's in Oxfordshire, yeah. Okay, so it may actually be as abbot as well that he has authority over this. Mm. I found it very confusing to find out what, who has what authority over what. Because apparently they share it. Bishops and cardinals both have the same authority or have authority over the same area. But a cardinal can outrank a bishop if they make a decision in the opposite direction. But then there's the possibility that abbots actually have as large an area that they're in charge of as a bishop does in some areas of England. But it doesn't say why. I found it very confusing to try to make sense of it during this particular time. And it doesn't help that church records were destroyed. Mm. That probably would have given us a lot more clarity. The Stafford story, like we said, will be covered when they get pulled as a subject for their own episode. But the difficulties for John came when Henry demanded he hand over the Stafford brothers while they were in sanctuary at Cullum Church. 
Sanctuary was a right for all Catholics and had been inviolate for centuries. And I do mean that. Kings couldn't even enter a church where somebody was claiming sanctuary. That was against the norm. Just don't do it. It's beyond the pale. Hmm. A person could claim sanctuary at a church, monastery, convent, abbey, basically anywhere that was consecrated. And I found a few cases where people claim sanctuary in a graveyard. <laughs> <laughs> which sounded oh, really creepy. It was the closest like thing playing, they could get to. When you're playing tag and you can hold on to something and say, I'm, I'm, I'm safe. Yes, I'm <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly. Mm. But ugh, could you imagine claiming sanctuary in a graveyard? There's no building there. Are you well, I was just thinking about you saying that kings couldn't go in and drag them out, but they could trick them to get out, couldn't they? Because I was just thinking yes. about Perkin Warbeck. Yes. And he was sort of tricked to come out of Beaulieu Abbey. Yes. Hmm. If they walked out on their own two legs, yeah, they could be taken. The length of time a person could claim sanctuary seems to have been up to the person in charge of that area. I found evidence that sanctuary had been granted for only three days. And then I found evidence that sanctuary was granted to the full person's lifetime, up until they passed away. Yeah, I, sh I didn't realize there would be a deadline. Yeah, I found lots of deadlines. Oh, I was assumed you were there until it was safe for you to come out. But I found the lifetime ones were more rare. Hmm. Because if you think about it, the church does have to pay for that person's upkeep. Yeah, because they can't, they can't work. Yeah. There is a caveat here. You can only claim sanctuary for the time you remain within that building or within those grounds. Monastery has quite a few fields. You could go into those fields. You were still in sanctuary, but if you—I wonder how, how how often that was abused. I mean, someone goes for a walk, and suddenly someone leaps out from behind a tree, and they're gone. Yeah, you're not in the building. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and again, that depended on the country and the person who was in charge of that particular organization. Abbot could say, "You are in sanctuary, but only if you stay within the abbey itself. You can't go outside." Or they could tell you it does include the outer fields. Because a lot of churches at that point in time had extraneous lands. They were self-sufficient. They had their own farms. They had mm. Tudor farmers that managed flocks for them. It was quite an extensive area. So if the abbot or bishop or cardinal or even the priest decided that you could use the entire lands for your sanctuary, it's a huge area. You could be talking about hectares of land that you're allowed to wander. I don't know. I think you'd, you'd worry about risking it, though, wouldn't you? Yes, I would. I personally would. If you got stuck in those buildings and grounds, I was thinking that basically you're essentially placing yourself in prison. Could you imagine, like, I'm claiming sanctuary in a church. I now can never leave this church. Well, the choice is probably that or prison <laughs> or, death. So, or death yeah i guess that would be better than a death sentence mm, yeah also depending on the person in charge you may have had to follow all that order's customs so basically you would be a monk without being a monk you had to observe all of the prayers you would have to do work in order to stay there Basically, you would become a member without actually being a religious member. And I did find evidence of a number of this occurring. You became a scribe if you knew how to write. You were expected to pay for your upkeep by working. 
That seems only fair, doesn't it? Yes, which makes more sense when they say, well, it's the abbey and the surrounding lands because now you have another farm farm laborer. Hmm. It would be in the interest of the person of that organization to extend the area of sanctuary so you had further use for that person. Yes, yes, it extends to those latrines out there that you can, yeah. you're allowed to clean. And then you start wondering, is that the same as slave labor? You're not paying them. Yep, yeah, you're paying them and allowing them to live. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that you could say that about slaves too. Hmm. Wouldn't you want to work? I mean, you'd want to. I, well, if it were me, I'd want to pay my way. <laughs> yes, me too. Me too. And if you think about the Stafford brothers, as soon as you've committed treason, you have nothing. You can't pay your way by giving them actual money or land. It's gone. Mm. Yeah, it's very interesting. I think that's why when I was looking, the majority of people who claimed sanctuary were there for months or years. You would want them working. If it's three days, I get it. Three days. I don't mind you not following our customs for three days. But if you're going to be there for that long, you can't have a disruptive influence in a religious order. Yeah, you can't have someone who doesn't get up till 10 o'clock when all the rest of the people have to get up at four. So. Yes, mm. and pray at the same times and follow all of the rules. If you don't follow the rules, then other people... We start forgetting that young children were sent to these places as oblates. Mm, yeah. Which means that they were sent there by a family in the hopes that by basically sacrificing a child to the church, they will spend less time in purgatory. So seeing somebody who's rebelling against it and just not following the rules wouldn't be a very good example for those young children. I didn't realize that's why people did it. I assumed it was because they just couldn't afford to keep them. No, they got no. they got time out of purgatory for giving up their children. They get it as yes. well as the children. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I found that in this thing. too. <laughs> <laughs> this meant that you, even though you were not a monk or a churchman or a nun, there are cases of women getting sanctuary. You would still well, be Elizabeth required. Elizabeth of York. Yes. Yes. And, and a mum. Yes, Elizabeth of York was not required to follow the observances, but I think that would be because you're trying to tell a queen what to do. Yes. And that may not follow when her husband is still alive. Mm. You wouldn't want to risk that, I think. I think that was a political decision. Yeah, well, and, um, Elizabeth Woodville would have been, yes. I suppose Elizabeth of York was there as a accessory, wasn't she? Yes, <laughs> yes. They would still be required to pray, observe vows of silence, which I thought was fascinating. If you ended up in somewhere where there was a vow of silence, you weren't allowed to talk either. Mm, tricky. Yeah, <laughs> there were a lot of that. Whatever vows were made, vow of chastity, vow of silence, vow of poverty. Man, I wouldn't were... have thought the vow of chastity would be a problem if you're stuck in a monastery, but... Well, I'd be surprised. I don't, I don't know, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know why I said that. <laughs> We will that... get into that, but there are quite a number of, hmm, there are a number of records of nuns having children when it was a both gender monastery. You could have women and men in the same mm. monastery. Yeah, and apparently there are records of babies being born to sister so-and-so. <laughs> Whoops. Yes, 
It's, yeah, it's sort of a worrying thought, that, isn't it? That yes, it is. Was it... Abuse of power? Yes, I'm wondering that. Yeah. Mm. Don't know. The problem with sanctuary for the Staffords is that while in sanctuary, you are not allowed to commit any crimes. The Staffords had to have been organizing their last rebellion while in sanctuary. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been a rebellion. Hmm. Yeah, so that would be in the first church. Henry, when requiring them to be handed over to the crown, asserted that they had committed treason while in sanctuary at the first church. So they negated their... That makes it null and void, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This set a precedent that sanctuary could not be claimed for treasonous activities in England. Oh, is that where it started? That's where it started. This is the precedent. Prior to this, no matter what it was, you could claim sanctuary. After this, all offenses except for treason, you could claim sanctuary. Hmm. Which is awfully tricky. And then it makes you wonder, well, how did Henry get this agreement. We don't have a record of the discussions, but Sante handed over the Stafford brothers to John Savage and 60 guards that came to collect them. 6-0 for two men. Did he hand them over willingly or We aren't sure. Again, we don't have the records. I am gathering that they had Sante's approval because he was not arrested alongside the brothers, even though he was part of that conspiracy and the rebellion. He was helping fund it. So I think what it was, was we can arrest you for treason, or you can agree as the legate de legere that treason is no longer covered under sanctuary you will not be arrested and you will hand them over your choice because you will be executed Hmm. that's what it comes across to me but because these are going against the church it's interesting that this particular action is a void in the state papers of england there is nothing We don't have these discussions. We don't have the records. We don't have any negotiations written down anywhere. Just that it was agreed that sanctuary could not be claimed for treasonous activities. Hmm. Agreed by whom? Yes. Agreed Hmm. by John. John Sante as a legate de Legere had the authority to be able to say, this is the way the church is going to be in England. He was given that authority by the Pope. The only person who could outrank him and tell him no was the Pope, and the Pope was supporting Henry. Mm. So, yes, very, very interesting. And you don't see that going to the Pope. I found no dispatches or diplomatic embassies going to the Pope to get that confirmed or denied. So the only person who could make that choice would have been Sante. So while we don't have hard evidence, circumstantial evidence to me says... I don't want to die. I'm going to agree to this. Fair enough. Yes. (laughs) That seems fair enough to me. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Henry, as further evidence that Sante must have agreed with this, did not punish him. He was not arrested. He was not put under financial obligation, as we see other people were already by Henry. Not to the extent of Empson and Dudley, but Henry was doing this with Sir Reginald Bray already. Hmm. 
But unfortunately for Sante, it appears that he did not learn from the threats of penalties. Later, again, no dates provided, Sante funded further rebellions and was caught. He, yes, he put up or arranged for the removal of the money for John de la Pole, didn't he? Yes, he did. Yes, yes, now I remember. <laughs> and he provided some of that money from the Abbey's income. So he's now just embroiled the church directly in a rebellion against the king. The king who the Pope is supporting. Mm. Doesn't seem smart. Mm. No, it really doesn't. Yes, but it does make sense. He was a Yorkist and he was personal friends with Francis Lovell, who was supporting the Earl of Lincoln. And Lovell was one of the ringleaders of this rebellion. So the fact that they were personal friends, it may you can see why he was... Oh, yeah. Willing to financially support them. And he probably thought he'd get away with it as well. Yes, he is a churchman. Of course I'll get away with it. Sante was not executed with the rest of the plotters, who were executed. He was fined heavily. And because he used the Abbey's income, Henry went after the Abbey's income. Approximately half of the Abbey's annual income and a lot of the property was taken by the crown. He just took church lands because the abbot paid out of church lands. I suppose that the thinking behind it is that the church itself has been corrupted by this? Yes. Yeah. But can you imagine... An earlier king taking money and lands from an abbey? The popes would have had a hissy fit. I can imagine a later king doing that. Yes. <laughs> but an earlier king, it doesn't seem plausible. And I can't think of any examples. I've seen examples of kings not providing a bishop for an area so that they could keep the money from those empty mm. bishoprics. Yes. But actually removing the lands that had been given to the church from the church? That seems a bit too far. Hmm. You can see where, like father, like son. Yeah. I think part of the thought also for Henry would be that by reducing the wealth and power of the abbey and the abbot, he would have less that he could give away to further rebellions if it would happen. He's he's trying to knock down Sante's power. Hmm. I'm not sure how, but he must Sante must have done some fairly spectacular dancing. He managed to eventually have the land restored to the abbey and some of the income. So he did something to get back into Henry's good graces. But he's not, is, is he still abbot of Abingdon? He was still abbot. He remained the abbot. Mm -hmm. When he died in 1496, unfortunately that's all we've got for him, he did leave all of his personal possessions to Henry in token of all the grace shown to him, quote unquote. So hmm. somewhere along is the lines they made visit, peace. Or unless it's a visit from Mr. Dudley or Mr. Empson. Probably Mr. Empson, if you get Possibly. a visit. <laughs> If you get a home visit, it's going to be Empson. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. So somehow he managed to get back in favor in order to get the lands back to the Abbey, or they went through these legal things with the Pope and get the to get the lands back to the Abbey. I don't know. 
Mm. But that's all we have of John Sante. So it makes sense that we don't have a full episode on him. Yes, that would be quite a, a sparse one. Yes. I absolutely loved it. For one thing, we do have some of his own writing. And like we were talking about in a few other episodes, it was phonetic. Oh, yeah. It is very, very, very interesting looking at how these were spelled. So you can tell his accent. Yes, exactly. All right. Hold on. I'm going to share this. I was going to say, if you you say it, I'll tell you whether it's a... Oxfordshire accent or not. You are way, way better at accents. So I'm going to let you read it. And you'll have to oh. ignore all the underline red because, of course, it's not spelled during yep. English or our current English. So go ahead and try to, if you can. Can you read it from there? Is I it can. big enough? Mm-hmm. Okay. I th- it's like either going to be, is it going to be Richt? Probably Richt, worshipful and well beloved. I recommend me unto you, and were as I understand my femur of farmer. Oh, right. My femur (laughs) of Lucana was late. At. He's talking about his payments for land rent or tool rent. Ah. At. Oh, is that a thorn? That's a thorn. So the. At the. King King is going into France, one of the collectors of Oxine Ford Shear. Hmm. Yeah, pretty neat though. And then if you keep on going, it was so that that your father's tenant and yours by the constable of his town was strained to pay his. Duty. Yes. <laughs> Is that duty? That's duty. D-Y-W-T-E. Yes. And the said constable possessed the same strainment, etc. Please it you that in all manner matters concerning my said femur, ye would be good maester, and to show him your good maester shop, of which I heartily pray you, as in likewise hereafter, hereafter I shall demena my selfie towards your tenants, and what all reason will bind my said femur, and he shall do your will and pleasure, praying <laughs> you <laughs> to be his good maester in such thingies. I like thingies. Me too. <laughs> As he desireth reasonably, reasonably, which is my very faithful trust that God knoweth, who ever preserve you with prosper, prosperite, <laughs> probably <laughs> prosperity. <laughs> Your lover of Abandon, <laughs> John Abbott. Well, that's nice. <laughs> yes. Basically, what he's trying to do is get one of his tenant instead of Fearmore, it's Farmer. That's how he pronounced Farmer. Ah. <laughs> Out of trouble because he was not paying his duty. And by duty, he means he did not get enough of a crop to be able to pay his debt. Right. Yeah. So I'd love to put that up because it really is interesting. You really see that the Y used to be the I all the Mm. way through it, including the I harsh sound and the I sound. And then you've got others in here. Duty. Duty is ditty. 
D-Y-W-T-E is dwitty. It's it's a really strange way to speak, but it, it does give you an idea that this is still considered modern English because we can read it. Mm. But it is so different. Yeah, I really like it. So we'll put that up, please. Yep. But that is all we have for John Sante, but we still have some of his writing, which I really like. Gives mm. you a feel sometimes of how they were speaking. Yeah, it's extraordinary what documents are survive available. and what don't. Mm. Yeah, why do we know about his tenant farmer? Yes. <laughs> but we don't know what his actions were that really were treasonous and whether or not he agreed to treason not being covered in sanctuary. That seems way more important than this tenant farmer stuff. Hmm. But that survived. Strange. Well, this actually survived in not in the church's records or in where did it get it? Yeah, the next these this is a letter. Uh, the Stoner Letter and Papers for the Royal Historical Society. Mm. And that's it by Charles Lethbridge in Kingsford. So he has that and it was edited in 1862. So yeah, it, it's just fantastic how personal letters were sometimes found when the official documents have been lost. Yes. You wonder where they've been all this time. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, that's what we have for John Sante. I hope you enjoyed it. I found it interesting reading about it and learning about all of the different cross-section of who has authority over what. Yeah, I wasn't sure how much information we would have about him, which why, because we originally planned a whole whole episode, but yes, <laughs> which we did, which wasn't to be. Um, no, but I figured that we'd probably spend more time talking about sanctuary, which is fascinating, isn't it? It really is, mm. especially considering that each person that was in charge of that organization. So let's say you've got a priest. A priest has decided the sanctuary in his church is for the lifetime. The next he dies, the next priest comes in and he said, no, you know, it's only for a week. He can now kick those people out. Oh, <laughs> so if you've got a lifetime of sanctuary, you're praying that somebody isn't going to kick you out. The only way around it that I found was if you were claiming sanctuary in a monastery and you became a monk, they couldn't ah. kick you out. So it might be in your best interests mm. that if you were claiming sanctuary and you knew if you ever left, you would be immediately executed. You need to get monked. You need to get monked. Yes. Mm. Very I was just thinking about Perkin going off to, when he jumped out the window and he went off to the, uh, what was it? Was it an abbey? I can't remember. At Sheen. And the head of the religious order immediately ran back to Henry and said I've got him yes um, will you forgive but, him <laughs> yes because I can't keep him it has now been precedented that treason isn't covered under sanctuary hmm. so I can't keep him but I don't want to let him go if I, think I don't want you to be kill him. To him yeah yeah please be nice hmm. But it's such an interesting power play that Henry managed to do that. Yes. Because mm. that's going away from thousand years of sanctuary precedence. Mm. Quite a lot of things that seem to be completely set in stone disappear at this time. They? they really do. And you wonder how they managed it. I understand you're doing this power play in diplomacy, but it 
it almost seems like you'd be telling one country. It would be like England telling the states that they can no longer offer asylum. Mm, yeah. How do you get them to agree to it? What did you give up or what did you threaten? And we just don't know. That's why I had to speculate that his life was in danger. But then you got to wonder, why didn't the Pope step in and say, no, 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 you can't take that power from the church? Was the Pope ever informed? Sante put himself in a difficult position, didn't he? Cause he oh, was, yes, he did. He couldn't, <laughs> there's nothing he could, he, he didn't have anything to bargain with by the time he was accused of treason. No, no not at all. Mm. So he would have to agree to everything, wouldn't he, I suppose? You would think so. I would. <laughs> I would, like a shot. <laughs> What do you need? It's yours. <laughs> but it's, it seems more miraculously miraculous that he stayed as the abbot. the abbot and got his lands back. And from what I can see, he stayed as the legate de la terre. So nothing really changed for him apart from the fact that he almost got executed but didn't. Yes. And he was a little poor. Which I presume was because he was a churchman. Because they didn't yes. execute church, churchmen as a rule, did they? No. Ooh, do we have any examples of the Tudors taking out churchmen before Henry VIII? I was just thinking there's plenty of Henry VIII. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> I, don't I don't know, know if we do. i have to think about that. Can't think off the top of my head, but... Well, 11 years from now when we're done Henry VII, we'll have an answer. <laughs> 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 As we just keep adding people. <laughs> we do. Adding people I... and special episodes <laughs> Yes, but we feel Cameo like episodes. We're getting a better feel for what it was like. Mm. Everybody who's focused on a single person, like we've already explained just how often we learn something completely unexpected when we're studying somebody that you thought had absolutely no interaction with this other person we've already talked about. So doing this mm. has just... I don't know. I feel like after 11 years, if we keep going with the research we're going to be, we're going to be the experts on Tudor history. Nobody will know more than, the, than us. <laughs> yes. And the thing that's been quite an eye-opener to me, because before, if I wanted to know about a, an incident or a period, I'd read a history book and yes. think, ah, that's what happened. Yes. Reading two, three or four history books about the same thing they all say something completely different. <laughs> yes, and the primary research, you're like, okay, well, I can see how it is interpreted in multiple different ways. Mm. And then you come out with your own opinion. Mm. So it makes you realize that history is more varied than you think. <laughs> Very much so. Mm. Or the other things I've noticed is if you look at your history books, when I'm researching, especially for Louis, you look at what their sources were in the back, and there's so little overlap. So mm. they really are looking at a snippet rather than the whole thing. Because if you were searching just one person and constantly looking, it would be decades of research if you really wanted to get a full picture of one particular person. Well, I'm just about to start um, researching for Ferdinand. Mm -hmm. So I've bought books about... Catherine of Aragon, Juana, Isabella. Yes, yes. Everybody else. Yes. But partly because there are no books in English about Ferdinand that I've come across, or some 
I come across a three-volume one, which the print, I've got it on Kindle, the print is so tiny, I'm going to strain my eyes even trying. But Kindle, you can increase the print. No, not on this one. Really? Hmm. Well, that's dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, People have bought the actual books c- c- claim that, say that, oh, I wish I'd known it was size eight and I wouldn't have bothered. <laughs> oh my. You need yeah. a magnifying glass. Hmm. Huh. Also, it was it's written in 1830-something. Oh, I wonder if that's why it was scanned in. But still, you would think the text could be changed. Mm. I don't know. I'm not sure how much it's worth it for something written in 1830-something anyway. So much will have been discovered since. I still find it really interesting reading those ages, though, because I'm finding that some of them have access to documents that don't seem to still exist anymore. Mm, That's true, yeah. I'm just trying to get out of reading a three-volume book in such tiny writing. (laughs) (laughs) It does tell you how popular Ferdinand is versus Isabella because there is a ton of stuff in English in Isabella for Isabella. Mm. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I am glad it's you and not me because I feel like I would be too biased to be able to give him a fair read. I'm trying to approach it. With that, I'm, I'm assuming I know nothing about him. Okay. Because I know nothing about him, <laughs> apart from what I heard in Isabella's. So, yeah, it's not difficult to assume ignorance when you're ignorant. No. I wonder if we're going to want to put this out before we put out it, Ferdinand now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll figure that out. This is sort of scattergun effect for the cameos. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yes. But thank you for listening to John Sante. And we don't know what's coming up next, but we hope you enjoy that too. (laughs) Thank you very much. Goodbye. Bye.